Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. If you're visiting with us today, we are uh, working our way through this uh, amazing book of Romans, which uh, really is the gospel. And while you're turning to that, let me, let me just encourage you to, uh, in your community groups tonight uh, or tomorrow, uh, take a look at these hymns, especially these last two that we have sung, but including the first one. These are so rich theologically, and they are really a summary of what we've been talking about in uh, this book of, of Romans, and uh, you can use those in your, in your devotions, read them over, and uh, you will be contemplating many, many great truths. We, uh, last week in ending uh, with chapter 5, we see the Apostle Paul uh, talking about when men sin, grace really moves in, and grace for God's people overcomes. Now, Paul, as he has done throughout this book, anticipates objections and how uh, wicked men will tend to take the truth of God and twist it, and twist it to where it is no longer the truth of God. And he's anticipating that that's going to be uh, the case here. He is moving. This is really uh, transitional in a sense uh, here with 5, 6, and uh, chapter 7, where he has uh, been talking about justification. And that's what we've just been, been singing about, uh, about our salvation, what Christ did for us, and how now his righteousness becomes ours when we stand before God, and how that is by faith, as we trust in Christ alone for our eternal life. Now he's moving into what theologically we, we call sanctification, and uh, that, you know, these are, these are big, big words, but we keep, keep redefining them. Well, sanctification is, it's not that hard to understand. It is, it is the process, whereas justification is an action. It, boom, it takes place. Sanctification, it begins in, in, in one place, but then it, it moves forward, and it, it is a process. And, and the process is of us becoming more and more like Jesus. Dying to sin in this world and becoming more like Christ. And so he's, he's moving into that realm as we move in here. But, but I want you to hear his question and then see how he begins to address it uh, beginning with chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? That's another one of those... Uh, uh, rhetorical, uh, or questions of rhetoric. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, now we would ask that as difficult as some of the things are in this passage to understand, especially if somebody's reading them for the first time, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds and enable us to, to grasp these wonderful truths of your grace. Lord, help us to, to know more and more who we are in Christ and what that means. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The question then is, uh, can we ignore the law? There is the law. We've seen the purpose of the law. And some would want to, therefore, ignore it if we come to Christ. Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? The grace may abound, there's the anticipated objection. And, and it goes like this. Well, if my sin causes God's grace to abound, we know when God's grace abounds that God is glorified, so therefore, the more I sin the more God will be glorified, right? 
Now, they wouldn't use that tone of voice, and yet that's what he's addressing. That there would be some that somehow would take this wonderful doctrine of God's grace towards us as his children, and they would twist it. And they would twist it in order to just ignore God and do what they want to do. And Paul gives an emphatic answer. New International Version, by no means. Verse 2. King James Version, God forbid. That's actually still my favorite because it seems the most emphatic. God forbid. The Amplified, certainly not. Living Bible, of course not. In the Greek, it's may it never be. And it's emphatic. As emphatic as a statement can be. One of the big problems among those who claim to be Christian is what is sometimes called antinomianism. Some of you are saying, I didn't even know that was a problem. <laughs> Let me explain what antinomian. We don't use that term very much. But if you, if you think through it, anti, against, no, nomus, the law, against the law. R.C. Sproul defines it this way. I'm saved by faith, therefore I never have to be concerned in the slightest about obeying the law. Antinomianism says that the commandments of God have no binding influence on my conscience. Now that's a distortion of what Paul has taught. It's a distortion of Christianity itself. Let's review how the law or good works and faith fit together. First of all, and we, we say this virtually every week in one way or another, good works never get us into a relationship with God. Never. It's not about our good works. Our good works would never and could never be enough. Further, good works don't keep us in a relationship with God. If it depended upon our good works, we would lose our salvation. And yet the Bible teaches everywhere that it is not about our good works. It is only by grace and through faith, not by works. The Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Our good works, however, are an evidence that we are in Christ. They don't put us into Christ, but they are an evidence that we are in Christ. And conversely, if there are no good works, it is evident 
that Christ is not in us. Because if Christ is in us, there will be good works. So that's how those two fit together. So do you see how if anybody says, I don't want to pay any attention to the law, to obedience to God in any way, even though he has told me the best way to live whereby I may be blessed, but I want to ignore that. Do you see how that, that's the antinomianism, and that's, Paul is addressing that kind of an attitude. Now, here's some reasons by why what I just said is true. Paul says, beginning with the second part of verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We died to sin. Now that doesn't mean, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. Dying to, to sin doesn't mean that we don't ever sin again. And it doesn't mean that we won't ever be tempted to sin again. What it means is, we who have died to sin, and those are believers, that we don't have to sin any longer. When the Holy Spirit works in, in us, he gives us a new heart. That's what we call regeneration. You're getting a lot of big theological words, but that's what we call regeneration. He puts a new heart in us. And when we are given a new heart... We are a new creation. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let's go back to a statement that I've made uh, over the last couple of weeks in a different context in, in chapter 5 when we, we talked about how sin came into the world and we were... Uh, represented by Adam, remember our federal head, and we were in Adam, and uh, I've made the statement, we aren't sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. I was talking about how that's our nature outside of Christ, that's our very nature, and so it, it's because we are born that way, and so we are in sin. Before we're made a new creature in Christ, who are we in union with? Remember? We're in union with Adam. Everybody in this world is either in union with Adam or in union with Christ. And when you're in union with Adam, then his nature is your nature. And you, your nature uh, dictates your actions, and your nature is that of sin. And you are, according to the Word of God, a slave to it. When we come to Christ, then we are in union with Christ. And here's what happens in terms of sin when it says we're dead to sin. There is a point where there is a definite break with sin. So 
here's our life before Christ. We're, we're moving along and we are, we are in sin and what we do is sin. And then, boom, we are justified. We are given a new heart. We are regenerated. And there is that definite break with sin and we are then dead to sin. Now again, remember, I, didn't say, I said that doesn't mean we never sin again. We're going to cope with that when we get into especially chapter 7 and later in 6. But there is that break with sin. He says we're dead to it. It's not in our nature. We are not its slaves any longer. And then he goes on to talk about our identification with Christ. Look at verse 3. Do you, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, this passage has often been used to talk about mode of baptism where it talks about being buried with Christ and so on. Uh, and in order to uh, affirm immersion as a mode. Um, you know, obviously, here, we, we sprinkle or pour. If you were close enough to see it, I poured, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, we sprinkle or, or pour, and we don't believe immersion is necessary. But further, we, we don't believe this passage is really about water baptism um, this is talking about our uh, identification with Christ, how we are identified with him in every way, his death and his resurrection. If you, if you, the, and bap, the word baptize is used elsewhere that way, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 10, talking about God's people, it says, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And that, you know, nobody claims that's talking about uh, water baptism because God's people didn't go under the water at that point. But it's talking about being identified with Moses. And here, you know, it, it, the emphasis is um, talking about being identified with Christ himself. It symbolizes our union with him. And here's what our Westminster Standards say about when we uh, view a baptism. It, it talks about how we are to seek to improve our baptism. Now, what's that mean? Baptism is not a work. I already said we didn't, these children weren't saved, or if, if, when we baptize adults, they're not saved uh, by, by that action. So how do we improve? Well, what we are to do is when we see a baptism take place as we, we ponder on that, we think of the truths that uh, it represents in our life, because we know it's not actual cleansing, but it's representing that's, that's who I am, and as we seek to improve our baptism, we are to live more and more as those who have the mark of Jesus upon them. Maybe you've heard me say before, I've I almost wish, not, not really, but I almost wish that when we, when we baptize uh, people, whether it's infants or adults, I almost wish it was a permanent mark. You know, so then wherever you went, 
You would see that mark when you look in the mirror and people would see that and they would know who we are. It's not that way. But think, would that make a difference? And if so, then that's a way we can improve our our baptism is to seek to live according to the truths that are symbolized in baptism. Now he goes on, he talks about our union with Christ. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul is continuing here with, with his airtight reasoning. If we're in union with Christ in his death, it doesn't stop there. It, it can't. And if Christ was raised from the dead and we are in union with him, then that's what it means for us as well. And here's what we can't do according to Paul. We can't act like I'm not in union with Christ when, by sinning and by uh, our actions. We mustn't. Union with Christ means we are transformed because we're in Christ. Now, I put something on the city this week. Uh, I, I said that I was going to bring some toothpicks and a nail. And so everybody tried to get out of me all week. What, what, what's, what's that about? And so, of course, my answer is, I'm not telling you. You know, you've got to come and, and see what it is. But I, and you probably can't even see, but I've got a, I've got a, a toothpick and I've got a, a nail up here. Okay? Now, this toothpick, it's very easy for me to, to break it. Right? It's by itself. And now it's in little pieces. But let me take another toothpick. It's still intact. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to tape it to this nail. And you can see that it's, you can't see, but I'm telling you, it's taped. It's taped to the nail right here. Now that same toothpick that just a moment ago I could have, I could have broken like I did the other one, I can't do anything to. Why is that? Because it, it has taken on the qualities. It's not a perfect illustration, so don't pick it apart. But it's taken on the qualities, the strength of this nail. And that's what our union with Christ is. You see, if he, he dwells within us, we are in Christ. We are one with him in his death, but also in his resurrection. And, and that's why, because he does not sin, that it's wrong for us to. Because of our union with Christ. So the results of our union, good verse 6, the results are we are no longer a slave to sin. 
We know that our old self, he says, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Basically, what he's saying is, you're acting like your old self is still in control. And he's reminding them a theological point that they've got to grasp, and that is, Your old self isn't in control because your old self is dead. It's gone. You are a new creation. So there's not some old self inside of us kind of working. Some teach that theologically. But I don't see that in the the Scripture. That there's an old self and a new self and they're fighting back and forth. No. Paul says that's not the case. We are a new Creation. The old is gone. So how could it be in control? So you may wonder then, well, then why, why do we still sin? Again, we're going to get into that in future weeks, but basically, let me give you the, the simple answer. It's a formula, but it's not formulaic because it's true. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We still live in a fallen world. We still bear a body of flesh. And because of that, there are temptations. And Satan is prowling around, seeking to put temptation in front of us. So in this world, yes, we will be tempted. He goes on to talk about a second result of our union with Christ, and that's eternal life with Christ. Verse 8, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so it is uh, eternal life. We know we will die in this life. This is saying, but that's not the real death. That's not the one you've got to be concerned about. It's eternity where he says we have eternal life with Christ. And then the third result Paul speaks of, and this is key, we can choose obedience. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He is saying, know who you are. Know that you're dead to sin and alive to Christ in God. And therefore, he's saying, so make the choice not to sin. Verse 12, let not therefore... Or therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He's saying, you don't, you're not a slave to that anymore. Why are you acting like a slave to your sin? Do not present, verse 13, your members uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. These are words about choice, about choosing. Paul is saying, you believers, when you sin, you are doing 
that which is contrary to who you are. You're going against your nature when you sin. Now, let me give you a caution about how we sometimes talk in terms of identifying ourselves as, as sinners. Sometimes in, we identify ourselves as sinners to kind of excuse or minimize our, our behavior. Let me give you an example. Um, we sometimes will say something like, oh, we're just a bunch of sinners. Now, is that true? Well, we, we sin. But there's a subtle statement there if you say we are a bunch of sinners, you're saying, that's my identity. I am a sinner. What do you expect out of me or us? We're just a bunch of sinners. Instead, here's a better way, and I'm not going to hit you up every time you, you say, oh, we're, we're all sinners, because I, I say that too, understanding this. But, but here's a better way and more, more correct according to the Scripture, and that is if we're trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life, then we should say, we are children of the living God who sometimes sin. Do you see the difference there? It's major. It's a major difference. Instead of saying I'm a sinner and that's what, you know, I've, that. Of course I'm going to sin. You say, no, I'm a child of the living God. And when I sin, I am doing that which is contrary to who I am. And by the way, that's why if you're a child of the living God, sin should bother you. Sin should make you grieve. Because you are, are going now against your very nature. Those outside of Christ don't, don't grieve over their sin. They might grieve over getting caught or things like that. But they don't grieve over, over their sin because they are children of God. And so we must remember who we are. We are brand new. Verse 14 then, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. You know, it's, it's like a defector from another country. There have been uh, over 200 baseball players defect from Cuba to the United States. Uh, now, not all of them have become citizens and some of that's probably going to change now with our different kind of relations in terms of how they can come here. But, but through the years, they've defected, come into the United States, and uh, many of them have moved toward uh, becoming U.S. citizens. Now, now think about this, because there, there, there are parallels here. Uh, we, they were in, in that oppressive realm in Cuba, they seek asylum, and they come into a new country that protects them. 
and equips them. And if they desire, equips and enables them to become a a citizen of this new kingdom, as it were. Now, initially, though, that one that defects is still the same person. They still speak that same language till they learn something different. They will have many of the same cultural habits. They may even have a hard time when they defect uh, living in freedom because they haven't lived in freedom prior to that time. Now, think about what he's talking about here. You see, it's as though they've changed countries and now they have an opportunity to grow as a free person. That's what our status is. When we move from the kingdom of darkness, from union with Adam to union with Christ, the kingdom of light. When we died to sin, we were no longer under that dominion. Yes, maybe we still had some of those same characteristics for a time. But we are equipped and strengthened to be more and more like those who are in the kingdom of light. Augustine, who was, by most accounts, the greatest theologian in the first millennium, taught about a a progression. He didn't call it that. Um, In fact, he used Latin terms. If you attend my Theology 101, I'll tell you what they are, because I write them on the board. Um, But this progression was pertaining to our, our sin. And here's basically how what he taught And that was, in the garden, Adam had the ability to sin or not to sin until the fall. And then he was our representative. We were in union with him. When we are in union with Adam... In other words, before Christ, and this is, that's the way Augustine talked about it. He didn't talk about union with Adam. But before Christ, it is impossible not to sin. Because of who we're in union with. The good news is, in Christ, we trust in Christ alone for our eternal life. We're given a new heart. We come to Christ. Then, and that's what this passage is talking about, it is possible not to sin. We don't have to sin any longer. And here's the really great news. It's not in this passage. It is in a way where he talks about eternal life in Christ. But here's the really great news. In heaven when we go to be with the Lord or when he comes back, it is not possible to sin. Isn't that good news? Then it will not be possible to sin. Fellow Christ followers, 
we must quit acting like we are still under sin's dominion. Know who you are in Christ and joyfully live as a child of the living God, a citizen of the kingdom of God's grace. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to grasp who we are in Christ, children of the living God, and then to live that way, knowing that when we sin, we're we're doing so because we're choosing it, not because we have to. We don't have to any longer. Help us to know how, how wrong that is according to our identity, and then, Lord, to deal with it in Christ, knowing that his grace is sufficient, yes, even to cover that. But will you help us, Lord, to joyfully live as your children, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.